Hi, and welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, streaming live from Queens, New York. We're so excited you joined us today. No matter where in the world you are, we want you to know that you're family. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Well, Happy New Year, and welcome to the Journey Online. My name is Mike, and I'm the lead pastor, and I'm so grateful to have you here with us and begin a new year with you, church, as we leave behind the past and we embrace all that God has for us in 2021. Now, before we dive into our message series, I want to encourage you to start the new year off right and join us via Zoom after the service in our community groups. The hosts, they're going to put a link here in the chat for you to see and click, but it's a great time for us to connect and connect and be together for about 15 to 20 minutes after the service. It's a way for us to have fun, connect and talk with each other, and deepen our walk with Christ as we talk about next steps in the message. Now, one other thing I want to just draw your attention to is something new that's happening for 2021. And uh, starting the last week of January, we're going to be doing a Zoom Bible study on Wednesday nights. We're titling it Wednesday Night Bible study. And what we're doing is we're going to walk through a book of the Bible together, section by section, verse by verse. So many of you guys, I heard from you that at home you want to read the Bible more. You want to understand what it is that you're reading and deepen your faith in that area. And so on Wednesday nights, starting the last week of January, We're going to have a time together where I'm going to walk us through how do we study the Bible? How do we read it and interpret it for our lives? And we're going to be looking at my favorite book, the book of James. And so if you want to sign up for that, all you got to do is visit our webpage, journeyqueens.com slash Bible study. And I would love for you to join and for you to be a part. But today we're beginning a new year with our church, out with 2020 and in with 2021. Hallelujah. Rejoice, somebody, right? Put some praise hands in the chat. 2020 is over. 2021 is here. Now, let's face it. With every new year, so many of us, we strive to set goals or resolutions to to be better versions of ourselves. Am I right? I mean, some of us, we set goals And some of your goals for the new year might look like this. It might be to lose the 10 or 15 pounds that you've gained from the pandemic or quarantining at home. Or or maybe for you, it's to get outside, get a little bit of sun and exercise some more. Uh, Maybe for you, your goal is to pay off a credit card debt or a major debt like student loans. But what is your goal for this year? Maybe it's to read the Bible from cover to cover. Uh, Maybe it's to lead a family member in your faith. Uh, Maybe it's to go back to school and to get a higher education or to start a new business. What is your goal for 2021? Now, if faith is being sure of what we hope for, what is it that you're hoping for? I mean, do, do you know? What one thing do you want to see God do in your life for 2021? Now, I believe the only thing scarier than not knowing the answer to this question is to never ask the question at all. Because this question, what do I want for 2021, it invokes faith. It invokes God's power. It invokes our imagination to believe God and dare God for more. Now, I got to admit, I'm normally not the type of guy that tries to define a year with a word or a phrase. But let's face it, with 2020 being such a mess, 
And with so many things still being up in the air, I believe God wants to do a new thing for our lives. I believe he wants to do a new thing for your life and a new thing for our church. And so if I had to define 2021 with a phrase or a theme, I think the theme would be this, rise up, rise up. In other words, no matter how bad 2020 has been, God wants you to rise up and to walk in victory for 2021. Though the devil's done everything he could to distract us and get us to quit, we're not going to give up. We're not going to throw in the towel. We're going to rise up and we're going to believe God for more because I believe the best is yet to come. Now, maybe you're watching this right now and you don't feel that way. Maybe you feel weak. Maybe you feel like right now your faith is a shell of what it once was and you struggle to believe God for more and to believe God for greater in your life. I believe God is not looking for the best of the best. He's not looking for the strongest or the one who has all the answers or the one who has all their faith together. I believe God is simply looking for someone who is available. Ordinary people like you and like me. And I believe no matter how messed up or run down you might feel right now, you were born with a purpose created by God to do something great, and God wants you to rise up. Now, over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about this. How do we rise up? And we're going to study from a person that we see in the Old Testament. In fact, I think it's a book that so many of us kind of skim past or don't even really read over. It's that ordinary of a book. But we're going to talk about a simple man named Nehemiah who had a broken heart for the plight of his people. He looked on at their situation and decided, I can't sit by anymore. I have to do something. I have to rise up. And if no one's going to do it, it might as well be me. Now, before we look at his story, who exactly is Nehemiah? Well, in chapter one, we see that Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king, King King Artaxerxes. That's a fancy name for a king, right? King Artaxerxes. But what does a cupbearer do? Well, Nehemiah was a cupbearer, right? So what that means is he was not a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a king. He wasn't a warrior for a mighty battle. He was just a cupbearer. Now, the cupbearer is the guy who has the job of tasting the wine in the cup before the king did. Now, maybe you're listening to this right now and you're like, awesome, right? The cupbearer, free wine, unlimited alcohol. That is the best, hashtag best job ever, right? Well, kind of, right? I mean, a cupbearer, you got to be with the king. You got free wine. You got to hang out at the king's palace, but... You tasted the wine before the king did. Now, now why would you do that? Well, because oftentimes people that had it out for kings or had it out for political leaders would try to poison them by poisoning their wine. So if the cupbearer drank poison wine, that was it. They they were dead. I'd be curious to see what a life insurance policy was on a cupbearer. But here is this ordinary guy, not a warrior, not a king, nothing, just a cupbearer, and he hears something that bothers him deeply, and God uses him to rise up and change not only his life, but the community around him in 52 days. Let's start and let's dive in. With this in mind, let's look at Nehemiah's story here in your notes. 
chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanai, one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived exile and also about Jerusalem. Look here what he says. They said to me, those who survived in exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Circle that phrase, underline that. That's huge. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. Then it says, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, before we move on, let's unpack this for a moment. It says, in the year 586 BC, the Babylonians, under the rule of the evil king Nebuchadnezzar, attacked the Jewish people and wiped out their city. I mean, it demolished their city, their life, their culture in a way that's really hard for us to describe. Now, if you've ever heard of Solomon's temple, the beauty, the glory, the gold, all of it burned to the ground. Every building in the city of Jerusalem was rubble. The gates to the city, which formed protection, was burned. And almost everyone was without a job and without any kind of hope. And so the evil Babylonians, they then took the Jewish people captive to their own country, took them away from their homeland, and held them in bondage for years. If you could imagine, the Jewish people felt demoralized and completely hopeless. Now, years later, in fact, decades later, 50,000 Jews were sent back home to Jerusalem to rebuild. They're going to rebuild the city that they love. They're going to rebuild and make it a better future. The problem was they couldn't do anything. They found themselves stalled in a complete dead end, and they could not move forward. Now, to be honest, it almost sounds like our life right now. I mean, 11 months ago, February 2020. Everything was great, right? Life was great. Your career was booming. You probably had lots of friends and family close by and life just couldn't get any better. Then this little headline is published about an unknown disease that starts in a little place called Wuhan, China. And this disease spreads to the entire world and within months, everything we know is uprooted. Our city has been shut down. Hundreds of thousands have fleed New York City. The economy has crashed. So many businesses and jobs have been lost. And and many of you watching, that's you. You've lost your job during this time and during this season. And so many of you, you're forced to live in quarantine. You can't even spend time with your family. And Christmas was alone because you had to quarantine and it broke your heart. And the one place you love to go for inspiration and encouragement was church. And you haven't been able to do that for months now. And so now you look at your life and you almost feel just like the people of Israel. You feel like it's the walls of Jerusalem. Your life is just a pile of rubble. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you feel like the walls of your life have been torn down? What do you do when you don't know what to do. Uh, What do you do when you see something that breaks your heart and you know that God needs to step in and something needs to be done? Uh, What happens when you feel like God asks you to rise up 
but you feel like you've got nothing left. You feel like you're broken and shattered. Where do you begin and how do you begin again? That's a question that so many of us are facing today and right now in our season. And so as we look at Nehemiah's life and his actions, I want to give you three things that I think you need to do to rise up and rebuild your life for 2021. All right, so here's these three things. Number one, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to sit down to cry. You sit down and let whatever it is, the tragedy of the moment or the injustice in the world, actually get to your heart and break your heart. You see this in verse four of Nehemiah. Nehemiah says this, it says, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. Now, what's so interesting to me is to think about where Nehemiah was when he heard this news. You see, Nehemiah was a thousand miles away from his homeland in exile, and he was actually living a pretty good and a comfortable life in the palace. I mean, think about it. This guy is eating the same food the king eats, and this is good stuff, right? This is like steak and potatoes and bacon every single day. This guy gets to watch the same shows the king is watching on his 4K Ultra HD TV. I mean, this guy, Nehemiah, he's probably posting selfies every now and then about what life is like serving the king. Hashtag blessed to serve, right? This guy, he is living the ultimate Instagram-worthy life. It was a comfortable life. He had everything he could need, and he could easily settle. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes in my comfort... I could just be scrolling across a news story on my phone, or I could be reading about a prayer request or a tragic event, and, and something could enter my heart real quick. Oh, I mean, that's bad. I mean, it stinks to be them. They're a long way away, but what could I do about it? I mean, I'm living a comfortable life, and many times we resort to this. When bad news enters our minds, or when we read bad news or hear bad news, oftentimes we'll say a prayer for them. Right? I'm going to pray for you, but I'm not going to let that burden get into my heart. I'm going to say a prayer, but I'm not going to feel the burden in my heart. Now, at this moment, Nehemiah had a choice. He could acknowledge the plight of his people, or he could choose to let it enter his heart. He could have said, oh, I feel bad. What a shame for the people. But I mean, good thing I got out. Good thing I'm serving the king. Or... He could let the pain transition from his head to his heart to the point where it bothered him. It stirred him up. It almost gave him this divine burden and this ache in his soul. Now, when he heard the news, he didn't do what's so easy to do, to brush it off. No, he sat down, he processed it, he broke down, and he started to cry. Now, what is it? that breaks your heart? What is it that burdens you? What is it that creates this righteous anger, this indignation on behalf of God, this idea that it's not right, this can't happen under my watch? What is it that crushes your spirit when you look at injustice, maybe to a, a people group or a need that's in this world, and you ask yourself, why doesn't something or somebody do something about this? Maybe for you that righteous anger is the plight of hurting children. 
You know, maybe it's those who can't read or those who have special needs and no one's there to help them. Or maybe it's those who've been bullied or neglected or those who've been abused. Maybe for you, it's those who've been bound by an addiction. You overcame an addiction. You've seen people who have been hostage to drugs or trapped in a lustful world of pornography. And and you know how hard it is to get free. And so you want to do whatever it takes to help others get free. Maybe for you, it's homelessness. You've been seeing the years of the effects of our city. And every time you go to your subway train, every time you walk to your bus stop and you walk past a homeless person, this angst fills your heart and your soul and you feel like, man, I've got to do something about it. I've got to help this person more than just pray for them or give them a quarter that's in my pocket. Maybe for you, it's to help those who've been trafficked or abused in their whole life. Maybe for you, it's those who are impoverished and you can't watch another ad or another, uh, another documentary that talks about people who don't have clean drinking water or people who don't have a mosquito net that costs 10 bucks in another part of the world and, or maybe people that have, they, they can't access drugs that prevent diseases for just a few dollars. And you see this and it bothers you, it disturbs you because Someone has got to do something. I remember a time when I just started off as a youth pastor at a church, 23 years old. I wasn't the senior pastor. I wasn't even the associate pastor. I was just the the youth pastor. Now, what's a youth pastor's job? Usually it's to watch kids, make sure they don't die, and make sure they don't do stupid things, right? (laughs) That's basically all that's involved with youth ministry. But, But I'll never forget my first time at that church that I was working for. And at the service, it was a nice service, but it was a little bit dry. Uh, They had no electric guitars, no drums. I kid you not, they were playing the pipe organ. And if you play pipe organ, cool. I want to learn from you how to do that. But it was a very traditional church. And I looked up at the section of kids that was the youth section, and there was over 30 kids. And all of them, looked bored out of their minds. And I knew what they were thinking. I knew what they were thinking. They were thinking, man, church is boring, therefore God must be boring. And if God is boring, then I want nothing to do with God. And when I saw this, it broke my heart because I knew to reach them, we were gonna have to do church differently. We were going to have to be more applicable for their lives. We were going to have to be more relevant and show them that church could be fun. And that was the first time in my life that I felt this stirring in my heart, this God-given divine angst, this God-given divine burden to reach people who were far from God and to bring Christ into relevant and meaningful stories for their lives. Now, what is it that breaks your heart? I don't worry every now and then when something breaks my heart and moves me to the point of tears. I worry when it's been a while since that's happened. You see, I want my heart to be tender, to be broken by the things that break the heart of God. And so what do you do when you can't take it anymore? What do you do when you receive that divine burden that comes from only God? You sit down, you let it move you, and you cry. Number two in your notes, the second thing you've got to do is you've got to kneel down to pray. You sit down to cry, then you kneel, 
down before God and you pray. Nehemiah says it like this in our next verse. Verse 4, he says, For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now listen to me, church. If it's big enough to cry about, it's big enough to pray about. If it's big enough to keep you up late at night, it's big enough to go to God and pray about. Now, sometimes we say the most insulting things to our God. Sometimes we say things like this in our church language. We say, all we can do is pray, right? Pastor, I don't know what more to do. All I can do, there's nothing left to do. The only thing I can do now is to pray. Now, can you imagine for a moment God sitting in heaven, the all-powerful, almighty God in heaven saying, oh no, all you can do is pray. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. Uh Uh-oh, you're screwed now. It's over. (laughs) No. Can you imagine God saying that? (laughs) No. Because hear me out. God plus one is always a majority. Let me say that again. God plus one is always a majority. When we go before the God of heaven, we're invoking his power through prayer. Notice how Nehemiah cries out to God in verse 5. He says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant. It's praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Now, if you watch Nehemiah's prayer, and you read on in this chapter, you're going to see that he confesses his own sin. He confesses the sin of his people, and he reminds God of his promises and his faithfulness. And after Nehemiah has done mourning and fasting and prayed, he goes before the king, and he asks for permission to go back home and to rebuild the walls. So he ends this prayer in chapter one with this. He says, give your servant success today, by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Now, what's interesting about this is if you read the entire book of Nehemiah on your own, you're going to read him pray this same prayer over and over and over again. God, give me favor and help me as I move forward. Now, why is this so important to look at Nehemiah's prayers? Because what you pray about reflects what you believe about God. What you pray about reflects what you believe about God. So if your prayers are only about safety prayers, God bless this food, keep me safe, make my supervisor nice today, God give me a good day, give me a parking spot, let the E-train be there as soon as I swipe my Metro card. No, if those are your only prayers, dare I say, you don't really believe in the all-powerful mountain-moving God. But see, when you ask God to stretch you, to use you to meet his needs, to, when you pray God for the impossible, you believe in the power and the glory of a good God. What you pray about reflects what you believe about God. Now, what's so interesting to me about Nehemiah is what we just read is actually the first of 12 prayers that we see he prays in the book of Nehemiah. There are 12 prayers that we know about. Now, what this means is that maybe he could have prayed hundreds, maybe thousands of prayer requests, but we see him praying at the beginning of a story, 
We see it all throughout the middle of the story. And the last thing he's doing is he's praying as he goes before God. Now, in the next few weeks, as we look at Nehemiah, you're going to learn a lot about him. You're going to learn that he's a leadership genius. You're going to learn that he's practical in every way by strategizing and casting vision and delegating. And he's a leadership genius, but yet everything he does is led by his faith-filled prayer before God. So how do you begin the good work? When you have a burden and you don't know what to do, you, you sit down, you let it in your heart and you cry. Then at some point you kneel down to pray. And then once your heart has been broken, as you're seeking the goodness of God, number three in your notes, the third step you've got to do is you've got to stand up to act. You've got to stand up to act. You see, Nehemiah takes the cup and he goes to visit the king. His heart is heavy and the king can tell. I mean, he could, he could see something is wrong with Nehemiah. Here's how the story goes down. It says, I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and his gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? Then, then see this little part here. It says, then I prayed, right? I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can then rebuild it. In other words, my people are hurting. The walls are down. The city is exposed. I just can't be a cupbearer anymore. I just can't go through life as how it's always been. I have to do something. And Nehemiah says, it's got to be me. I'm standing up to act. Now, I shared a personal story about years ago when I first started off as a youth pastor in New Jersey. And uh, saw these kids that felt far from God. They determined if church is boring, God is boring. Therefore, I don't want anything to do with God because God is boring. And so for those four years, we created church in a fun, meaningful way. We, we did some fun things with the youth and, and watched them all place their faith and trust in Christ and begin to serve Christ with their lives. But four years later, I felt this same disturbance in my heart. Something is off and I don't really know what it is. And so Danielle and I, we committed to a season of asking God, what is it that's breaking our hearts? What is it that you're trying to stir within us? And we sat down and we, and we knelt down and took moments to pray and seek God. What does he have for us that's next? Well, one day I was scrolling through Twitter of all places. And I know using your phone to scroll on Twitter can be dangerous, but this one time, it was actually helpful because as I was scrolling on Twitter, I heard about a church that was looking for a pastor in Queens, New York, specifically this little community called Forest Hills. Now, at the time, I'd never heard of Forest Hills. Danielle never heard of Forest Hills. We, we, we didn't even know at the time that Queens was a part of New York City. We're embarrassed to say that. But we packed in our little car, a little Toyota Corolla, drove up from New Jersey to a two-hour drive and walked around Forest Hills for the first time. We had some fears, we had some doubts, but we went to the church service that day and it happened to be September 11, 2011 that day, the 10 year anniversary of 9-11. And as we were at this church service processing and praying, God, I don't know if 
we can do this. I don't know. It might be too big for us to step out in faith and trust you. After all, I'm just the youth pastor. I don't really know what I'm doing. And there was this one song at the worship service that was played. It was called The God of the City. And there were powerful words in that song that believe that greater things are yet to come and still ahead for that city. And as I heard that song, Danielle and I both began to weep because we knew that God was stirring us not only to cry, not only to pray, but now it was time to act. And so in that moment, we decided, God, we don't know what the future holds, but we believe you're using us now to step out in faith and go. And so we sold everything that we had. I mean, everything that we had. We moved from a three-bedroom, two-bathroom parsonage that the church was paying for at that time to a not even 500 square foot apartment in East Harlem. (laughs) There were moments when we were like, God, what are you doing? And maybe we had bad pizza. We don't know what's going on or what's up. But we were motivated. We were moved. We trusted God and we stood to act. Let me just tell you, church, I'm so glad that we did. I'm so glad that we moved forward in our faith then and that we're continuing to move forward and rise up now. Now, I don't know who this is for, but I believe there's someone watching right now and there's something that's been bothering you. And in the past, you've kept it at a distance, but now, as you're hearing this message, it's starting to mess you up. I mean, you're moved and you feel like, man, I I feel that burden. I I feel that desire, that, that, that inner working in my heart to sit down and cry because I'm so burdened by it. And and now you've even committed to a season of prayer. And now you're at this next step where God is challenging you to stand up to act. It's one thing to sit down and cry. It's one thing to commit to a season of prayer. But now is the time that you're going to move and you're going to invoke the power of God. But now you're going to step out in faith. And maybe you're watching and you're terrified, right? You said the same things that I've said or Nehemiah, you know, who am I? I'm not a pastor. I'm not trained. I don't have experience, but listen to me. You don't have to be chosen by people if God promotes your heart. You don't have to look to others for acceptance and validation if God is the one who is calling you and is moving you and motivating you. Don't worry about the finish. Just have the faith to start. And just like Nehemiah, an ordinary guy with no accolades, God might be calling you to step into that burden and start a good work. Now, what we know about Nehemiah is he didn't finish the work alone. He didn't do it alone, but none of the work happened until he took that first step and began the good work. Now, you want to rise up this year? You want to see God do some things in your life that no one else would believe or could ever imagine? You've got to sit down to cry, find your burden, determine your why. Then get alone with God and pray. Seek His face. Seek His heart. Seek His will. Do not move forward until you've heard from God. Then take the first step. I believe there is no such thing as a small step with God. Together, church, let's rise up and see God do some incredible things for 2021. Let's take a moment. Let's pray. 
God, I thank you for this message. And as we're starting off this new year, so many of us, we feel weak. We feel burdened. We feel like our faith is a shell of what it was. God, I pray that you would restore that power in our life again. Help us to not just believe you for good things, God, but to believe you for great and amazing things. God, help us to start off by finding our why. Help us to find our burden and to press in and lean into those very things that are moving our hearts because our heart moves to the things that your heart moves to. God, help us to take this time the next week, the first month of the year, to commit to a season of prayer that we are not going to move forward until we hear from you. We're going to posture ourselves like Nehemiah, keep our hearts open and receptive to your will. But God, for some of us, I pray that you would give us the motivation that this is the year that we're going to stand up and we're going to act. No more are we going to sit on the sidelines. No more are we going to just hope that someone steps in. But God, you are calling us right now at this moment to stand up, take that first step, and to act. No great work of God cannot be accomplished without us having the faith to take that first step. And so, God, we believe, we hold on to great things, and we trust in Jesus, the cornerstone of our faith. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen.